1: we are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are. Hey. It's good to see you. We, hey, to be
1: here.
0: we are without Rachel this week, sadly. Yep. Couldn't make it. You're just stuck with the two of us. hmm But that's great. It's going to be fun. Yep. We've got we,
1: some really fun stories. We have some great stories for you this week. And you I, know what? I want to say hello to all of our new listeners. Now, we have a lot of uh, people who joined on in the last uh, few weeks here. So if you're new to the show, welcome and thank you. And we're
0: excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for coming I'll come along in the strange boat that is our podcast.
1: It's true. The good ship, uh, strange by nature.
0: I am starting us. What do you you got for us? Yeah, I'm starting us off this week. Um, And, you know, when I was still working as a naturalist, I would sometimes do programs where we would talk about the five vertebrate classes. Uh, I'm sure you do these programs, Kirk. Right? Sure. Yeah. Mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish.
1: Yeah. I often use the example of, like, when I'm talking (laughs) about a bird, like, I'm lucky enough to work with a red tailed hawk. And just last week, I had him on my hand, and I was like, how can you tell this is not a cow on my hand? You know, so it's like we end up talking about classification quite a bit, even even when we're not really talking about classification, exactly. You know what I mean?
0: And we talk about what makes each class unique. And yeah, when we're talking about mammals, uh, what what I usually would say was that what makes mammals unique is that they have fur or hair and they nurse their young with milk, pretty much. Right? Sounds good. Yeah. 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 I mean, technically, what?
1: Those are the biggies. Yeah. Those are the
0: biggies. I mean, technically... 4 heart. There are a few other things. Uh, so, according to Wikipedia, definition of a mammal includes that females have milk-producing mammary glands for her hair. Mm, yep. uh, two other features that are a little too technical for most young kids. Uh, they have a region of the brain called the neocortex and three middle ear bones. Fascinating. Okay. Other, yeah. ver- uh, other vertebrates only have one. But, in fact... Mammals are not the, not, not the only animals that produce milk.
1: Is this going to be a technicality kind of thing? Something we call milk, but isn't really milk, Victoria? Well,
0: kind of, kind of. It turns out that okay. there are many, in fact, many different species that have evolved some ways for their bodies to produce a specialized substance to feed their young. That is okay, milk-like. Fair enough, fair enough. You cannot exactly, as you said, technically, you cannot call these substances milk because they don't come from mammary glands.
1: But we're going to anyway. <laughs>
0: we are going to. <laughs> I mean, I could just say milk-like substance for this entire episode, but that is a lot of words. So I'm, I'm going to say yeah, milk.
1: That will get really, really tiring. Yeah.
0: Yes. Um, you know, it's functionally equivalent to milk. And in some cases, it's quite similar in composition to mammal milk, in fact. So... Mm, okay. The most well known non mammal that produces a milk like substance, henceforth milk, um, is the pigeon.
1: Okay, yep. Uh, I'm, you know, as the resident bird narrated on the show, I have heard of this,
0: yes. I'm not surprised that you've heard of this. I think <laughs> when I did an episode about pigeons, I was focusing on other, other features of the pigeon, so I don't think I mentioned this. Right. Uh, it's cool. It is very cool. And, it, you know, it's not really too surprising that if, if making non-mammal milk is going to occur anywhere, it's going to be in a bird, right? Because birds are pretty well known for putting a lot of parental care into their offspring. Okay. Makes compared sense. to like most reptiles, for example, or fish. Or worms. Yeah, worms. Um, yeah, so male and female pigeons produce what is known as crop milk to feed their chicks,
1: and gross
0: um that sounds
1: like if you if you don't know what a crop is you're probably like oh crops like uh like corn and it gets, soybeans, those
0: kind of crops yeah no is that what you're talking about no it gets more gross the crop and is tell us uh, all about that yeah the crop's a specialized organ within the sort of throat upper chest area of a bird that uh helps masticate their food if you will grind it up yeah
1: yeah yeah it's like a little storage spot, kind of too. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, storage. I guess it's it's different than the gizzard. Uh, it's it's kind of like storage, and yeah, it's part of it's part of their eating system. Um, well, crop milk is made in the crop, and it is often described with the dreaded adjectives cheesy and curd-like. Oh, oh, <laughs>
1: oh I, those are two qualities I do not want in my milk although weirdly like i love you know i mean cheese actual and cheese, cheese curds. that's yeah. great but like if ah, oh, was picturing that milk jug being poured out and you get the little that comes out yeah
0: and it's like, oh oh gosh it's turned i mean there are also i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there there's there's some other things that are sometimes <laughs> described as cheesy that are pretty gross let's yeah. just leave it at
1: that Toe jams there you go okay yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> among other things um yeah okay. yeah but okay, crop, milk, crop milk is highly nutritious. It is uh, similar to milk. It's about 60% protein, 35% fat, approximately 3% carbohydrates, and then there's various vitamins and minerals. And, okay. in fact, if, um, if you try to raise, raise pigeon chicks, which are also known as squabs, squab, uh, if you try to raise them with a crop milk substitute with the same nutritional profile, they right. fail to thrive slash die. Wow! Yeah, uh, and there is there are actually a lot of antibodies in the crop milk. So similar to mammal milk, it's a source of probiotics and antibodies. So it's very important for their developing immune system as well.
1: Now you maybe you're getting to this, but this they're just like puking this into the baby's mouths, right? Oh, this yeah, is, yeah, lovely.
0: And so, it's a do you want to know what it's made of? I mean, you just
1: told us the very basic stuff, but I bet. Uh, I. Yes and no.
0: It's basically. It's basically um, sort of beefed up skin cells from the inside of the crop that are shed, oh, multiply, no. multiply, and shed in the lining of the crop, and then clump together. Oh,
1: so it's like cheesy skin milk. <laughs> yes. Skin throat skin milk with <laughs> some like oh I mean here's the deal when you really look at what like um mammal you know mammary glands are basically modified sweat glands aren't it's they, true. Like, at their core so like I've been accused in the past of saying that milk is just um fatty sweat and that's not strictly speaking you know quite <laughs> accurate but Ew. um That, you know, so again, it's depending on how you describe it, mammalian milk uh, can sound pretty nasty too.
0: It's true. Yeah. I mean, I I think there are a lot of things like that. If you think about it too much, it gets gross, like honey being bee vomit.
1: Well, welcome welcome to the Strange by Nature podcast. That's what this is all about. So, yeah. (laughs) On brand, continue. Continue.
0: There are a few other birds that are known to feed their chicks crop milk as well. Uh, So, for example, emperor penguins and flamingos are the ones that are known about. But in fact, very little research has been done on these birds uh, the, or this specific aspect of these birds. So there's not much information about how similar or different it is from pigeon crop milk. Okay. All right. Here's where things are going to take a turn a little weirder. If that wasn't weird enough yet.
1: You're gonna talk about how you've personally tasted these and they are like one's kind of nutty. One's more like almond milk. One's like rice milk. Uh,
0: I'm not saying I wouldn't taste it, but I haven't oh. tasted it. Oh, okay. Listeners, Actually, I, I feel like no, we have a no, challenge
1: here. If we can get a thousand new listeners in the next month, Victoria is <laughs> going to drink pigeon crop milk. I don't know how we're going to get it.
0: Maybe, uh, no. maybe we can put that as a Patreon prize.
1: Wow. We'll think about it. We'll think about I, it. We have to find a source for. Crop milk.
0: Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... You were saying
1: something totally unrelated. Go ahead.
0: I was. Uh, so we're going to move on from, from birds and to a different vertebrate class. There are some fish that produce milk. Huh. Yeah. Any, any guesses? What kind of oh, fish? What, what kind of fish? Yeah.
1: Uh, Gobi fish
0: uh not as far as i know but I as know. we have discussed the first,
1: weirdly that was the first fish to pop into my brain my brain is a strange strange yeah. place yeah
0: that's why you're on this show
1: <laughs> apparently uh tuna is it tuna no uh,
0: gold it's a, it's no. a fish that what we've discussed it? on the show before
1: uh the coelacanth
0: episode no. 1 no in the context of reproduction in fact
1: I don't know. All I can think of is the cow mucus when you say reproduction. Um, <laughs> if you haven't heard that one yet, folks, go back and find that one. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 what is it? Don't sharks. Me and sharks anger. and rays. Sharks. Yes. Uh, you know, I thought of sharks, but I thought maybe that was, I know they're fish, but they're in They're. they're well, that makes sense because they're that weird group of fish. So.
0: Yes. Um, there, I, so when I talked about sharks before, I talked about how some sharks give birth to live young, which is called viviparous in science language wow. and the particular shark I was talking about in that episode, the, uh, the mother gives birth to two baby sharks or maybe more. I can't, I can't remember the details at this point, And one of them eats the others, mm, but wonderful. Yes. Uh, so, some species actually produce something called uterine milk instead of providing extra siblings for the baby sharks to snack on.
1: I feel like that one's going to need some marketing. Uh, I don't know that uterine milk is going to sell real well at the grocery store.
0: Uh, you know, the name Shark it does uterine need some milk. work. It,
1: it, needs, it needs, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to the, the marketing folks on that one, but what, what is it?
0: Well, there's a science name for it, actually. It's called histotroph, but I don't think that helps at all. Well,
1: that's not any better. No. no.
0: It is secreted in the uterus. Uh, some species, it's a specialized mucus. Mmm tasty oh. and in others white, i guess right yeah i i suppose and others the uh the uterine lining cells secrete a very lipid rich liquid in okay. fact so
1: that's that's kind of milk like then yeah
0: yeah there are several species of of shark that apparently do this but uh, the most recent discovery was there was a bycatch um, in some fishing boat of a gravid that is pregnant great white shark yeah and oh, and oh wow. Yeah, they cut open, uh, her uterus and it was just filled with this kind of creamy milk. yellowish liquid. I saw pictures. It was, uh, it was something. Um, well, this is yeah. <coughs> really
1: something. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, there's another species of fish actually that makes milk. Well, if we
1: get 2000 new listeners, Victoria's <laughs> going to drink uterine milk.
0: Yeah. Good luck. Uh, Sourcing that.
1: I mean, it'd be challenging.
0: Yes. Uh, So the discus fish, which lives, I believe, in the Amazon, also uses mucus to feed their babies. But these babies are born uh, more in typical fish fashion. That is, you know, the eggs are fertilized externally in the water. But the parents stick around after the eggs hatch and they have mucus on the side of their bodies, both the father and the mother, that the hungry little fishlings then nibble on. And there was actually a 2010 study that showed that, there, that the composition of the mucus changes after the babies are born. So there increases in okay. protein and antibody content. So it's like um, how human milk actually changes as the baby gets older. It's kind of like the fish version of that. So there's another even possibly stranger vertebrate that gives birth to live young and produces uterine milk. All right. What is that? Also, another another one that I have talked about on the show before: the weird worm-like amphibian known as the Sicilian. Oh, okay. Yeah, I uh, I talked about them way back in episode thirty-five, which I had almost forgotten at this point. Seems like
1: forever ago. Yes.
0: Um, but I actually, as I mentioned back then, baby Sicilians have specialized teeth. That they use to scrape cells off the lining of their mother's oviduct, which oh. is considered a form of uterine milk, uh, and then after they're born, they go on to that tear strips. Like a, more
1: like a more like cannibalism than uterine milk, but okay.
0: Yeah, sort of. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a I guess. There's a line. There's a spectrum between yep. cannibalism, right. and they they pretty much cross that line after they're born because then they go on and tear strips of skin off of their mother to oh, eat.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I, that, well, I mean, there we are. I mean, I guess milk is maybe kind of a form of cannibalism in the first place. Uh, oh. gosh, there's, so many,
0: there's so many good
1: episode titles floating in my head right now. Okay.
0: And finally, I'm going to kick the weird up another notch because there are insects that produce milk. Ooh,
1: okay. Yeah. Which ones?
0: I bet you didn't know this. I didn't know this. Tsetse flies actually give birth to live young, one at a time. <laughs> I,
1: I did not know that. That's, yeah. that's why we started the show, was because I wanted to learn new amazing things, and you have blown my mind.
0: Yes, tsetse flies have one little baby fly at a time, uh, and it goes through the egg and larva stage in the mom's uterus. And inside the uterus, yeah, no, I, apparently this is like the one saving grace of tsetse flies, which uh, for our listeners that don't know this, they are the vector for a very serious disease in Africa called sleeping sickness. It's quite deadly. Right. Right. Uh, and (laughs) one of the things that, um, makes it not as bad as it could even be is that tsetse flies reproduce very slowly for flies.
1: Yeah, I was. I mean, that's insects famously just have tons and tons of young. So that's that's mind blowing in of itself, and
0: even without the fact that they apparently make milk. Well, g- get this. <laughs> so milk? Ask what do you got? The milk is actually produced in the uterus by specialized glands. So in some ways, it is more similar to mammal lactation than any of the other examples we've talked about right, so far. Right. Because right. okay. <laughs> None of, for all of the other ones we were talking about, it's like secreted from some other tissue, but just like kind of, or extra cells that have been sloughed off, to use another favorite word.
1: I knew the S word was coming. (laughs) Slough. But yeah, but
0: the CC flies actually have something that you could call a mammary gland, sort of. Wow. Um, Although it evolves completely separately from mammals, mammary glands. Yeah,
1: it's... I mean, the word mammary and mammal is right there. Like, I I don't think you can call it that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are also some ant-mimic spiders and also certain species of um, viviparous cockroach that exude milk-like substances for their young. Okay.
1: That sounds familiar.
0: Yeah. And recently, scientists discovered that the pupae of some ants, perhaps all ants, uh, exude a milk-like substance that is then used to feed larvae and possibly also a da- uh, adult ants in the colony. Yeah, cool. Yeah, um, and finally, last but not least, I think the most unexpected animal <laughs> to produce milk is the nematode worm uh, *Caenorhabditis elegans*, which is uh, it's widely used Ooh. in lab science. Okay. And Uh actually um, breaks down its own internal organs to produce milk to feed its babies.
1: That seems counterproductive, but okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My sources this week, I had several, uh, there was a paper from plus one in 2012 about uh, similarities between pigeon milk and mammalian milk. Another 2012 paper from insect biochemistry and molecular biology about lactation and the tsetse fly. Um, Also science daily discover magazine and the New York times. Uh, that is what I have for you today. That was a lot. It was a lot of uh, non-milk whole, milk. I,
1: I'm going to go uh, get a glass of milk. We're going to take a break. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when we come back, uh, I'll have all have a story for you. Excellent. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at Patreon.com slash Strange by Nature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to super-secret content. So, a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strangebynature. See you soon! Okay, welcome back, everybody. It was the night of December 20th, 1980. And 19-year-old Jean Hilliard had gone out to meet some friends for a night of drinking and dancing at the American Legion in Langby, Minnesota. It was around midnight and uh, time to drive home, so Jean got back into her dad's giant land yacht of a car, a Ford LTD, Mm -hmm. and headed out onto the snow-covered roads. Just south of Langby, she decided to take a shortcut on this dirt road. It was icy. This was about 30 years before anti-lock brakes became required in the U.S. And anyone who drives in snow will appreciate this point. The car was rear wheel drive. Oh, dear. So with all that, it is no wonder that she ended up where? In In a ditch. ditch. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jean knew this area well. Uh, She had a friend who lived just down the road. In fact, she had literally just been hanging out with Wally Nelson that night at the Legion uh, as she was dating his best friend, Paul. This was rural Minnesota, so no one was just going to happen upon her car in the ditch in the middle of the night. Again, because it was about midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and her only choice was to try to walk to her friend's house. Crunching through the snow in her cowboy boots, Jean faced a tough hike. It was 20 below that night. Ooh, now That's a mite I know chilly. Victoria, uh, you and I have both faced 20 below weather, but a lot of our listeners probably haven't. They're not from mm-hmm. the part of the world we are from. When we say 20 below, just to be clear, we don't mean 20 degrees below freezing. We mean 20 degrees below zero. So on the Fahrenheit scale, that's actually 52 degrees below freezing. Uh, We're hardy folk here in Minnesota where this podcast is recorded, but 20 below is unpleasant. Unless you are in the absolute best winter gear and are fully prepared. Uh, The air absolutely stings any exposed skin. It's right? notably
0: cold, even for here.
1: Your notably cold.
0: breath freezes on your nostril hairs. your eyelashes start to stick together.
1: Yeah, you can get not just like, uh, oh, I'm a little chilly. You can get damaging, blistering frostbite in about 30 minutes. Now, to be clear, I've absolutely gone out and played outside of that temperature. Uh, I think I've maybe even taught <laughs> kids outside of that temperature once in a while. Well, it helps um, a lot if it's sunny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not midnight you know, when you're doing that. And, uh, you know, I certainly am not wearing cowboy boots uh, when I when I do that. Mm. Um, I think she had like a winter coat on, too. Uh, So, you know, she certainly she's coming from the bar. So she wasn't dressed for a long midnight winter hike at 52 degrees below the freezing point of water, which coincidentally, you know, we are mostly made out of water. So it was cold, uh, but she just needed to make it to her friend Wally's house. Uh, If she could make it to Wally's house, everything would be fine. She was half right, it turns out. Wally's house was further than she remembered. Mm. Uh, It was nighttime. Things always seem closer when you're driving. Hill after hill, Wally's house failed to appear. And finally, though, finally, after hiking for some time, she saw it in the distance. A lit house through the trees. Her body was getting colder and colder. And she didn't realize it, but she was falling into hypothermia. This doesn't sound like it's going to
0: end well, Kirk.
1: Seeing the house in the distance is the last thing she remembers. So Uh, there's a giveaway uh, that she's alive in case. Okay. Um, She made it to the yard of the house. Uh, She either tripped on something or just sort of fell and started crawling toward the warmth and safety. And she almost made it before collapsing into the snow in Wally's front yard and losing all consciousness. Yikes. Now, as I said, being out in this kind of weather can be dangerous in as little as 30 minutes. Jean ended up being outside for six hours.
0: <gasps> oh, no.
1: She was found, in fact, the next morning by oh. Wally when he happened to look out his window and see that there was something in his yard. Imagine his shock when he went outside and realized it was his friend Jean. Horrifying. He pulled her up onto his porch and what he saw was shocking her eyes were frozen open (gasps) and she was as stiff as a board uh she was unresponsive but there were little like bubbles coming out of her nose apparently uh he tried to load her into his truck but she was so frozen and inflexible she would not fit in the cab because she was basically frozen in the position she had fallen
0: this sounds like an urban legend kirk
1: I know this is this is totally legit, though. Uh, Now, with the help of a woman that he'd brought home that night, uh, awkward, uh, they loaded her into her car into this woman's car that she actually fit into and drove her to the Faustin Hospital. She was still alive uh, when she got there, but her heart, get this, was only beating 12 times per minute. (gasps) Now, what would, what would normal be, Victoria? Those you who don't uh, know, Victoria is actually studying to become a nurse right now. Yeah. Tell us, nurse An, Victoria. What, what's we normal? get
0: concerned when your heart rate drops below 60. Normal is 60 to 100 beats per minute. So would you say now, 12 you know, is slow? Yeah, yeah, 12 is very low. I mean, there are athletes that have a lower resting heart rate than 60. Um, but, but not for, 12, right? Not 12, no. It would be like 40 maybe, you know, at, at the Oof. lowest.
1: Now, so it's easy to assume that I'm exaggerating when I say that Jean was frozen. Uh, You know, sure, she was a little stiff, but frozen? Well, reportedly, doctors at the hospital couldn't even get a needle into her arm. They literally snapped or bent multiple needles trying to get them into the frozen meat of her arms. Oh! Yeah, that that was something.
0: Did did she keep any of her limbs?
1: Well, it's funny you should mention that, because even if she survived, that was pretty much what the doctors were concerned, that they were going to have to amputate her limbs, because yeah. they're like, well, this, just, this is not going to work out, right? Um, Her doctor was uh, quoted as saying, quote, the body was cold, completely solid, just like a piece of meat out of the deep freeze. I, I'm Which is just so shocking. Speechless. Um, it seems, though, it seems, though, that she was not truly completely frozen uh while her limbs were frozen uh her body core was about 88 degrees so she was not a complete block of ice but 88 degrees is you are deep into hyperthermia oh yeah at that point i I think i remember they say if your heart drops below like 85 degrees it just straight up stops beating it it will no longer Mm. be below that temperature and if she's only beating 12 beats a minute she was almost at that point um and incidentally, her limbs likely weren't actually frozen solid, like a lot of the reporting on this said. They probably seemed that way. Um, years later, we now know that locked up rigid muscles are a known condition of severe hypothermia. Um, okay. So to her, it's almost like rigor mortis. Uh, her doctors at the time likely didn't really know that because we didn't know as much about extreme hypothermia. And so they seemed to be completely frozen, but it was really that the muscles had just completely seized up and were stiff. Wow. And her outer skin likely was, you know... Actually Mm -hmm. frozen. So doctors back in 1980 did the only thing they they could. They surrounded her with heating pads and slowly thawed her out. It actually weirdly did not take long. A few hours later, she started to have muscle spasms and start moving. And by lunchtime, she had fully regained consciousness and was just chatting like a teenager, you know, with the staff.
0: I mean, I would have thought she'd be in it. Incredible pain. Uh-huh. Well, she seemed totally unharmed. And <laughs>
1: she left the hospital complaining that, eh, you know, her toes stung a little bit from being cold. Wow. Didn't lose any arms. Not Nothing just hurt. Yeah, my toes kind of sting a bit. Like, you know, you'd gone out to get the mail without... I don't even know what like, to say. It makes no sense. Now... Um, Jean is still alive. Uh, she's 62 years old and at least a couple of years ago was working at the Walmart in Cambridge, Minnesota, just living her life like the rest of us. So good on you, Gene. Uh, keep at it. <laughs> yeah. Gene is not the only human, uh, to have been seemingly frozen solid and been brought back to life. Uh, there's many stories like this. I was actually going to sort of do my story this week on a bunch of these people this has happened to, but Gene's story was so amazing. I just wanted to focus on that. Uh, Because of cases like hers, we now have an entire procedure for for dealing with this kind of thing. Often it's when somebody uh, like falls through the ice uh, and falls into a frozen lake. Not when they, you know, decide to walk in the middle of the night and take a nap on their friend's, you know, front lawn in the 40 or 52 degrees below freezing. But it's a truly amazing story. And it shows how like resilient humans can be if the conditions are just right, because this obviously could have ended very, very, very differently. Sure. Uh, it is a really amazing story. Scientists are interested in studying how people can survive these states, States not only because it can help us when this happens to help these people survive, uh, but also it basically brings up this whole concept of human hibernation. I mean, yeah. thinking about your body temperature being chilled down like that, your, um, your heart rate dropping down to... Um, 12 beats a minute. These are the things we talk about happening when animals hibernate. The fact that humans sometimes can survive this is really amazing. Uh, You know, doctors are already looking at chilling techniques to save the lives of patients. There are some techniques that use this now where they purposely will chill someone down to save them. Um, And NASA is also studying this sort of thing and human hibernation states for use in space travel. Uh, Because space travel, it turns out, is really, really, really bad for you. And really bad for your your muscles. And, uh, you know, astronauts are constantly um, losing muscle tone and losing bone mass and whatnot. Yes. But when you look at animals that hibernate, they don't. So it's like, okay, could we somehow have humans hibernate for some of this space travel? So who knows? One day we may be purposely freezing humans and shipping them off. To explore the stars, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. My sources this week uh, were Minnesota Public Radio and Science Alert, but the story, Gene's story, has been told time and time again, uh, many places because it's no doubt uh, such a famous, famous example of uh, not just extreme hypothermia and what you know humans can do, but also you know people looking at like, well, okay, could we somehow use this and um, make use of this apparent ability that humans can sometimes have under just the right conditions. So mind blowing and awesome. I just wanted to share that story with you.
0: That's such a great story. Thank you, Kirk.
1: You're welcome. You have made it folks to the end. Uh, All this up is to say thank you for, for tuning in and we'll see everybody next week. Those of you who who are new uh, to the show may not know, but our third year anniversary is coming up here this is episode 106 episode 109 so just three more episodes to go will be our big uh end of the end of the year spectacular for the show and we got uh, a special guest coming on oh yes Into we do so, someone who maybe helped us with these uh this last time uh, at the end of uh our last season our last uh, year so um yeah we're looking forward we'll be starting the third year and uh I hope you come along with us for the ride because it should be fun. It'd be worth tuning
0: in for. All right,
1: bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. Hey, friends, this podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast? Or maybe looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit podbean.com slash strange to check it out today and get a month free. It's p-o-d-b-e-a-n dot com slash strange.